Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, he calls Yankee Games for the Yes Network. He's the voice of Afternoon Drive for ESPN New York, the great Michael K. Michael, thank you, sir. You got it, William. Anytime for you. 2016, Aaron Judge is called up to the big leagues. He hits home run in his very first at-bat. But in 84 at-bats that year, he would strike out 42 times, Michael, half the time. What was your impression of Aaron Judge after that 2016 call-up? You know, you, obviously you take notice because he hit the home run in the first at-bat. And um, you could see you know, just the raw power. But to be brutally honest, you looked at him and you didn't say, well, this guy's going to be a superstar. But I give him credit because the holes that he had in a swing at that time, he worked at it. It didn't happen by accident. He really worked really hard. Um, he closed them up and uh, he doesn't strike out nearly as much. He's still a high strikeout guy, but he's a high on base guy. He's a high batting average guy. And obviously with the 62 home runs, nobody's hit more home runs in American League season. So now my impression in 2016 wasn't that he was going to become what he is. It was a remarkable turnaround, uh, Michael K. Michael, there are statistics that show that second-generation businesses struggle. You know, I guess the belief is the offspring don't have the business acumen, the will, the grit of their forebearers. And the Yankees are a, a global business, but it is a second-generation business with Hal Steinbrenner now leading the way after the passing of his father, what do you make of that theory? Because when I see the Yankee struggles, I can't help but overlook that, those studies, those sayings. Well, you know what? It, it's what someone's definition of struggles are. Mm -hmm. um, they continually make the playoffs. They put an entertaining product on the field. And the one thing I think that Hal Steinbrenner gets a little bit of a bad break on is that the rules are completely different than when his father was running the team. Completely different. So... It, it, it's a situation where, you know, he's got to worry about uh, uh, the, the tax thresholds. Um, he's got to worry about other uh, extra added layers of playoffs. So you've got to you've got to win a lot more to win a world championship. And I just think it's hard to keep together um, um, a great team the, the way that George Steinbrenner did. I, I just think you know if you're going to judge it totally on championships, you could say that he struggled. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to judge it on the fact that the team is competitive and has a chance to win a championship every single year, you know, I guess I could debate you on that. So uh, I, I think the guy's doing everything. He has the same GM that his dad did. He's one of the top spending teams in all of baseball. It just hasn't come together. And I point to him uh, continuing to have the same general manager as his dad. I look at some of the advisors they're bringing in, Brian Sabian, Omar Minaya. Like, Brian Sabian helped the Giants win multiple World Series. Like, he's nobody's number two. You know, so when I see that coming, I see perhaps maybe Steinbrenner, how Steinbrenner believes a change should be made, but he may not have the fortitude to deal with a, a big move like moving on from Brian Cashman. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's the case here, William, because I think these are totally Brian Cashman's hires, really. Mm -hmm. they, they, he, he loves those two guys. He's had long relationships uh, with Sabian. And with Manaya, and I think what Brian does, he collects really smart baseball minds. He wants to hear all sorts of advice. He wants to hear the the type of information that different people with different mindsets give him. These were not Hal Steinbrenner hires. These these were definitely Brian Cashman hires, just to to get more information. He's an information gatherer. Then they ends up making uh, the decision. I'll tell you, everybody thinks that 
you know, Hal is kind of stuck to Brian because he, he doesn't, as you said, have the intestinal fortitude. He thinks Brian's doing a great job. And I know it sounds weird for Yankee fans on an organization that's, you know, if it's not a World Series, it's a bust. I think they have to change that. I, I really do. I think it's too hard to win world championships. And to consider um, a, a season without winning a World Series a failure, that's a little harsh. It could be a disappointment. But I don't think last year was a failure. They won the American League East. They won the American League Championship Series. They were four wins away from going to the World Series. And bottom line, they, they lost to a better team. And you add in the fact that, you know, they were ravaged by injuries. Important players, the bullpen, um, DJ LeMahieu, uh, Matt Carpenter was a shell of himself because he hadn't played in two and a half months. Now, even if those guys were healthy, William, I think they still would have lost. But I think they probably would have lost in six games and that got swept. 1996, I was 11 years old. That's when I fell in love with the sport. That's when I fell in love with the Yankees. You know, there was a rookie, Derek Jeter. That was the beginning of the core four. Um, even someone you've broadcast a game with, Paul O'Neill, like his nickname is The Warrior. You know, those teams were about like character, not necessarily big names, you know, like championship medal. Does that type of Yankee still exist? Like with judges, I'll star. But the, the, the medal, the warrior, Jimmy Lay Ritz, guys like that championship caliber character, does that still exist around the Yankee organization? Well, I think, you know, I think that judge has that sort of character. I think that judge could have started on those teams. I think that Anthony Rizzo has that character as well. And it's funny, William, because, you know, you don't really get that character until you win a championship. So they haven't had an opportunity to do that. But I think they certainly have the mindset. They work really hard. This is not a team that phones it in. And, uh, you know, when you're in that locker room, um, when they lose the final game of the year and they're going home, you can see how devastated they are. So they want to win. But, you know, I hear what you're saying. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Mm -hmm. You know, what comes first, having championship caliber and winning a championship or learning how to get over that hump and then reeling off a couple in a row? You know, Derek Jeter is an outlier. He really is. That team, the, the way it was built and the way it, it stayed together as long as it did, mm -hmm. They were outliers. I don't know if you could do that in 2023. <laughs> Again, like uh, throughout the years, I've always heard Brian Cashman's name. It wasn't until recent that I realized that that 96 championship, the general manager was actually Bob Watson and Stick Michael. These guys were kind of calling the shots. And it, again, it, it makes me question perhaps Cashman's abilities. Like we know the Yankees spend the money, but does he have the ability to kind of identify championship medal? You know, I, I look at the free agencies, free agents that he can acquire. That's great. But if we're the Yankees and we have all these resources, we should get these guys like Gary Cole before they go to the Astros. Or, you know what I'm saying? We should be able to identify that talent at a young age. And I don't think that's taking place over the last few years, Michael. What, what would you say? Well, they, I mean, they drafted Gary Cole out of high school. He decided to go to college. So, <laughs> I mean, Brian said, you know, it was like chasing the white whale. Uh, they did make the trade for him. Uh, when he was traded from the Pirates, uh, the Astros matched up better, and the Astros got two great years out of him. Um, you know, but Brian did have a lot to do with those championship teams. He made the trade for David Justice. Uh, he made the trade for Scott Brocious. I mean, he had his hands in a lot of that as well. But obviously, those four championships, that was Willie Jean Michael. And, and Bob Watson made the trade um, for, for Tina Martinez and, and Jeff Nelson. So he had a big role in it as well. But, you know, the 2009 championship, that was Brian's. He's, you know, he identified, obviously, getting Teixeira and, and, and A.J. Burnett. Um, so they, they went out and spent a lot of money, and obviously CeCe as well. 
Uh, and that was the guy that Brian identified that could change the culture of the clubhouse. And he certainly did. But, uh, you know, if you want to knock, you know, the, the, the present day Yankee front office, they haven't been producing um, the homegrown stars. Right. Right. They had asked when Brian Sabian was the guy who, who drafted, um, you know, Jeter and, and Posada and, you know, signed Bernie and, and players like that. But, that that I think that's 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 an issue. I don't know if that's Brian's issue because he he does have people that make the draft picks that are running the farm system. But you know, bottom line is, Aaron Judge is arguably the best player in baseball. He came out of the Yankee farm system, so sometimes you hit, sometimes you miss. Sometimes you hit, sometimes you miss. Um, Michael, you are a native New Yorker, living out your your dream. You know how long, how far back did your dream of wanting to be the Yankee play-by-play guy, go. Well, I was very, very rational, William. <laughs> uh, nine years old, I said, yeah, I can't play. I'm good enough. I'm afraid of getting hit by the baseball, so that's not cool. So at nine years old, I said I wanted to be the Yankee announcer. So that was a long time ago. I just turned 62 yesterday. So uh, since nine years old, this is all I ever wanted to do, and I'm about to enter my 32nd year broadcasting the Yankees. So. Every day, I thank my lucky stars how fortunate I am. What do you remember about your first game? Like getting that first opportunity to call your 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 Yankee team that you grew up cheering for. The 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 first game, the first you know regular season game was opening day in 1992, Yankees Red Sox, mm-hmm. and I was so nervous. Uh, I just remember, you know, I I just couldn't believe that you know I was living the dream, you know, and you know I guess John Sterling, we were on the radio then. You know, he, he he could see how nervous he was and or how nervous I was. So with about a minute before we went on the air, he said, I have uh, I have two bits of advice for you. And I said, oh, great. This is, you know, this is what I need. I, I need some advice. You know, I'm so nervous because I've been a newspaper writer. Right. And he goes, uh, first bit of advice. Don't ask me my age on the air. Second bit of advice. Sometimes I talk to myself, don't be alarmed. And that was it. That was the advice that he gave me. And, you know, it helped because, you know, whenever the Yankees are struggling, you know, the 10 years I worked with John, you know, he would turn to the side and he would just talk to himself. (laughs) And if he hadn't told me that, I would think, what's going on here, man? So, uh, but in terms of like, you know, just getting to the point of being comfortable, it's, it's about repetition. You know, I always tell young broadcasters that. I was lucky enough that they gave me the time because that first year, you know, it wasn't pretty, William. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it wasn't exactly a top flight broadcaster, but they, they knew it was a work in progress because, you know, they hired a writer to become a broadcaster. Yeah. And um, over time, I think I got more comfortable. I'm still certainly not been scully, but I've somehow hung on. You hung on. Michael, as you were trying to work towards that goal of being a Yankee uh, broadcaster, what was the hardest part? of your journey or perhaps the most discouraged you were on that path to being uh, the Yankee broadcaster? Yeah, it was just, it was just feeling comfortable, uh, not being so nervous, not being so robotic. You know, I had been doing the MSG. MSG had the rights to the Yankees before the S network came about in 2002. So I've been doing their pre and post game show without Troutwig while I was writing. And, um, you know, I was about a year into doing radio and it was still, uh, still kind of stiff, you know, mm-hmm. and Mel Allen, the voice of the Yankees was, uh, at the stadium for an old timers day. And I ended up sitting next to him on the bench and he said, could I give you a little bit of advice? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. 
He goes, when you're on TV, he goes, you're just talking. You're just communicating. He said, but when you're on radio and I listen to you, you're broadcasting. He says, it's a different, it's a different feel. You're not communicating with me. I said, so what should I do? He goes, well, who do you know listens to every single one of your broadcasts? I said, well, my mom does. He goes, okay, here's what you do. When you broadcast, broadcast to her. Just broadcast as if she's the only one listening. Don't broadcast as if there's a million people listening. Broadcast to her. And I guarantee you, if you broadcast to her, everybody who listens to the radio is going to think you're broadcasting to them. And it was great advice. And it's advice that I give to young broadcasters all the time. Because sometimes you get into broadcaster mode and stuff like that. <laughs> it's all just about talking. And if you just talk to like you're talking to your friends and ignore the microphone and ignore the camera, it becomes a little bit more comfortable. Wow, that was great. That was great. Michael, one last question before you get out of here. Uh, you grew up a Yankee fan, but now you're a professional, you're a broadcaster. How have you juggled the two over the years? You know, um, does your fandom have to take a backseat? Like, what is that experience like for you? Because I'll say this to the audience real quick. I worked for the New York Yankees 2017 where I first had the privilege of working or seeing Michael K. And I would watch you come in the clubhouse every now and again, maybe once or twice a week. You would observe and then go uh, back upstairs. So what, what's that experience like for you, balancing your fan, fandom and being a professional? Well, the best thing that happened to me, William, and I didn't think it was the best thing when it was happening at the time, was I started out as a writer. Mm -hmm. So I was a writer at the Post and, and then the News. Two years at the Post covering the Yankees and three years at the Daily News. And uh, you can't be a fan. I mean, a journalist has to be objective. So you kind of take your fandom and you put it away. Mm -hmm. So I think that that rid me of that. Um, you know, you know, since I became a broadcaster, I mean, you want the, the team to do well because that makes your audience happy and it makes your bosses happy and stuff like that. But I don't root anymore. I mean, that that part of it, you know, that that's really the one bad part of the job. Mm -hmm. And in New York, you can't, William. In other, team, in other towns, you can. I mean, if you listen to broadcasters in other towns, they're clearly rooting on the air. You know, they'll give the score good guys two, bad guys one. <laughs> if I did that in New York, I'd get crushed by the critics. New York just doesn't accept it. I mean, they want a Yankee-centric broadcast, yeah. but I don't think they want you rooting on the air because if you, if you check out Yankee Twitter after Yankee lost, the fans are killing them. <laughs> so if you're trying to put lipstick on a pig – they don't appreciate it. They're not used to it in New York. So, again, when I was a writer, I, I guess I got the fandom out of the way. I still want them to do well. It's an organization that's treated me incredibly well. But I want them to do well almost selfishly because it's good for yes, mm -hmm. and it's good for the, the people that are watching the games. But in terms of, yay, let's go Aaron Judge, and yeah, those, those days ended with, like, 20-year-old Michael K. <laughs> Michael K. Uh, voice of the New York Yankees, Voice Afternoon Drive for ESPN New York. Sir, thank you so much for this. Anytime, man. You know how I feel about you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Wow, that was pretty cool. Uh, he calls Yankee games for the Yes Network. He's the Voice of Afternoon Drive for ESPN New York, hosting the show that bears his name. Uh, that was the great Michael K. Pretty cool to have him here on the show. Um, I'll discuss the origins of our relationship a little bit later. Uh, but first, if you don't know, you're listening to WBH Radio. I'm your host, William Holly. If you can, please hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, and please hit that thanks button. Every contribution goes to keeping these lights on, keeping this show going. So 
Thank you. Uh, we only have Michael for a few minutes, and I want to get as many questions at him as possible. Uh, but I want to go over some of the things we discussed. First and foremost, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is the reigning American League Most Valuable Player. Go back to 2017, he was the AL Rookie of the Year. Uh, recently, he signed a big-time deal uh, with the Yankees. He's our superstar. Uh, and and w w when I think about his success, I like to go back to 2016, when he was first called up to the big leagues. In 84 at-bats, he struck out half the time. You know, and I asked Michael about that. He said, man, there was, there was some questions, you know. Um, and for Judge to kind of pick himself up from them early, humble beginnings and, and work himself into the starter he is now is phenomenal. It's phenomenal, you know, and it's a, it's a credit to his uh, work ethic. You know, at some point after that 2016 when he was sitting alone, he had to come to grips with the fact that there were some shortcomings. You know, he had to identify them, embrace them, and put a plan in place to overcome them. You know, and for him to be able to do that is phenomenal. I think sometimes we believe that, oh, athletes are just gifted. And yes, Aaron Judge has size, has power, but there is a work ethic there that can't be discounted. You know, and I liken it to uh, what we saw play out with uh, basketball superstar Kobe Bean Bryant. Kobe's a five-time champion, Hall of Famer, cool. But at the end of his rookie year, in the biggest game of the year, Los Angeles Lakers versus the Utah Jazz, that rookie, Kobe Bryant, shot four air balls. Shot four air balls, coming up mighty small. And I'm not sure if people knew then that he would, would, would be on pace for the Black Mamba, the heir apparent to Michael Jordan. But in that offseason, at some point, Kobe had to sit with himself, come to grips with uh, the fact that there were deficiencies, identify them, embrace them, and, and work hard to overcome them. And in 2017, I had the privilege of being in the Yankee locker room and, and watching Judge go in that historic rookie uh, 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 season. And I was willing to tell anybody that would listen that I think this guy is special. And it's not because I'm a baseball aficionado and I can diagnose his swing and things. No, what I saw from Aaron Judge was his willingness to go through a process or a constant process of refinement, a constant process of, of, of improvement. The like, similar to the likes of Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. Always looking for more. Always looking to be greater. And I think it is that quality above everything else that will carry him to Cooperstown. So salute to Aaron Judge. Another thing I want to discuss with Michael was the fact that, uh, you know, there's studies out there that second-generation businesses fail. The belief is uh, the offspring don't have the business acumen, the fortitude, the foresight of their parents. And, yes, the Yankees are a global brand, one of the uh, uh, richest organizations in sport, the most valuable franchise in baseball. It's still just a second-generation business being ran by Hal Steinbrenner. And I wonder how has the, the, the fortitude and the vision and the foresight to carry the Yankees into the future. You know, when I think about him keeping his general manager all this time, it gives the appearance that he's just trying to keep things the way dad would have done it. But dad did it that way 
20 years ago. We don't know how dad would have responded to the current landscape, what changes he would have made, uh, what, how he would have adapted to new technology or, or the, the new way free agency is done, being done. So I wonder about that. Our, our leadership, going to the top, Hal Steinbrenner, does he have the fortitude, the, the, the fortitude, the fearlessness to make the moves that are necessary to take us into the future? Brian Cashman, salute to the Yankee general manager, Brian Cashman. When I was in that organization as the most junior member in there, Brian Cash showed me love, showed me a lot of respect. Salute to Brian Cashman. In fact, I hope he, he hears this. I would love to talk to Cash. But in 96, I was 11 years old. That's when I fell in love with the team. And that was the beginning of that dynasty. What was it, four World Series in six years? What's significant about that team is that a core was established. Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Jorge Posada, Andy Pettit. A core was established, a core that we would be able to build on for years. And it wasn't until recently that I learned that the general manager wasn't Cash at the time. It was Bob Watson. It was Gene Stick Michael. As Michael K. pointed out, yes, Cash was in the room, but he wasn't the final say-so. Fast forward to when Cash gets the helm. He contributes pieces to the organization that helps them continue to win, like David Justice. But those pieces were always just complementary. They weren't the core. It was the core that we were relying on to carry us to championship glory year in and year out. And now I wonder, does Cash have the ability to build us that foundation that can give us sustained success? We know he got the money. And he could pay people, but can he go in the farm system and identify talent that we can rely on for a long time? Since Cash has been at the helm, I feel like there's been way too much turnover. I feel like there's been way too much pulling players from outside of the Yankee organization and trying to make them Yankees. They're not. You think about the acquisition of Jacoby Ellsbury years ago. He ain't a Yankee. We just watched him win a World Series with the Boston Red Sox, and now we're trying to put him in pinstripes and say, look, this is the Yankee way. That's not it. The Yankee way is lost. We need to get back to that. And Michael K. pointed out, you know, Aaron Judge is homegrown. I thought the Yankees were getting back on that pace in 2017. You know, after the Yankees made it a, a point to get under the, I believe, the salary cap, you know, they 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 re they reined in the spending to some degree, and that's when you had 2017. We got back to the core a little bit. We had Aaron Judge, we had Gary Sanchez, we had Luis Severino, people that came from our system, and I believe that's why 2017 was so enjoyable, not just for the organization but for the fan base. It was organic. I'm like, all right, cool, we're excited about this. But then right after that, what do we do? We go acquire Giancarlo Stanton. Like, you can't skip the process. We need to get back to our core. We need to get back to building within. I think there's, there's been times we've actually given up on players too quickly. 
I remember when I was in the Yankee organization, they kept telling me about this pitcher, Nathan Navaldi. Like, man, I don't know why we gave him up. He's going to come back to bite us. And what do you know? What was it, 2018, Avaldi, who was a former Yankee, now with the Red Sox, he comes back and he starts a game that sees the Yankees lose, what was it, 13-1 or 16-1, the biggest loss in Yankee postseason history. And we watched Nathan Avaldi win the World Series with our arch rival, the Boston Red Sox. 2017, Yankees make it to the AL Championship Series. They lose to the Houston Astros. The Houston Astros catcher was Brian McCann. My, Brian McCann was a former Yankee. He, his, half his salary was still being paid by the Yankees. I'm like, huh? You mean to tell me we just paid that guy to beat us? Like, what's going on? If we are the mighty Yankees and we have all of these resources, it's not to overpay for another team's washed-up older player. It's to be able to build our own. The Yankee organization should serve as an incubator to, to, to develop talent. All of the great players that we have from our alumni base, all of the great coaches from our alumni base, we should be able to mold star after star after star every year the way we did with Aaron Judge, the way we did with Derek Jeter. That's what we should do with our resources, not just buy up somebody else's player and try to put him in pinstripes and say he's a Yankee now. I've been in that organization. I've seen people walk through the door and they are there to take advantage of the greatness of the Yankee. Like, wow, we're, we're the Yankees now. We get to stay in fancy hotels. We eat good. True Yankees understand the responsibility of carrying the legacy into the next generation, adding value to the legacy, not just extracting from it. Not enough of those type of people are walking in those doors. John Carlos Stanton, God bless him. He not one of them. Jacoby Ellsbury, not one of them. And I would challenge Cash. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's too much turnover. There is no more Yankee way. If we got the big bucks, it's not to buy up somebody else. We we should be in the in the uh, trenches. Finding, establishing, molding the next star. Not sitting back and watching a player beat us on another team and then become the highest bidder to pay for that play in the offseason. God bless Garrett Cole. But when he came from the Astros and he had this big-time contract, I'm like, yo, there's no way he can live up to that. There's no way he can live up to that. It's like a new car. Once you drive it off the lot, it starts to lose value. Garrett Cole is great for the Astros and the, and the Pittsburgh Pirates because they got him for the, for the low. They got him at a value. The Yankee way under cash hasn't been that way. We overpay for a player and then we sit back with our arms crossed and expect them to be flawless. That's not, that's not baseball. You know, the same with Aroldis Chapman. We're going to pay him the big bucks and we expect him to throw 100 miles an hour for 10 years. That's not realistic. We need to build teams the way we had in the, in the 90s with the core four. Character. You know, I brought up Paul O'Neill to uh, Michael K. Paul O'Neill is uh, he's doing broadcast now. His nickname is The Warrior. 
You know, I don't know if Paul O'Neill was ever the biggest home run guy. I don't know if he was ever the highest paid hitter, but I know he was a warrior. Does that character still exist with the Yankee players? With Aaron Judge, for sure. With CC Sabathia, who's retired now? Absolutely. But it's too few and far between in present day Yankee teams. In the 90s, top to bottom, whether being tough is not about a skill set. Toughness is toughness. We had Tim Raines. We had Charlie Hayes. We had Mariano Duncan. And I remember he had a saying back then, we play today, we win today. That's it. That was a mentality that we go in, we do our best to win the game, and then we on to the next one. This is the type of culture that existed around Yankee teams. I don't know if that exists anymore. You look at Giancarlo Stanton, he goes up to the podium and he's uncomfortable after a bad day. Be somebody a character. If you had a bad day, you getting paid big money, stand up there and answer them people's questions. Again, I don't know if that character exists. And if you're not tough, how you expect to go into Fenway in the middle of October and come out with a victory? The ability to go get free agents is special. You know, it shouldn't be our business model, though. The ability to go get high-priced free agents should be a complement to what we are already establishing in-house. That's what I think the, the difference is between today's Yankees team is and the Yankee teams of the 90s. They had the core. They had the foundation. And anybody that walked through those doors knew what it took to be a Yankee. I don't know if that exists today because there's way too much turnover. You know, if we're going to bring a high price free agent in, we should have, again, culture in place to really help them become Yankees, not just because of the jersey they put on their back. Okay, and in all honesty, I think that's something I can help cash with. No lie. That organization, without question, without question. You know, we've had great people in the building. We gave up on them too early. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, And. You know, great thing. Michael pointed this out. I'm not saying the Yankees fail if they don't win the World Series. I'm not of that thinking. To me, success is maximizing your potential. I thought in 2017, getting to Game 7 in the American League Championship Series with a rookie in Aaron Judge, with an older pitcher in CC Sabathia, like I felt that was a run that everyone was excited about because it was organic. I felt like we maximized our potential that year. But when you bring in these high-priced free agents, I believe that's where the disappointment comes because those teams are falling short of the expectations. And I believe that is because the Yankee way is lost. It's just a collection of guys. It's not a team like it once was. All right? Michael K. Uh, I worked in the player services and travel department uh, back in 2017. You know, uh, I worked under 
Yankee traveling secretary Ben Tulibitz. It's one of the coolest jobs I had in sport. You know, I've got I got to travel with the team a little bit. I'm in the locker room every day. Uh, some of the responsibilities of that uh, position, you, you do it any and everything. You know, when players would come to the Yankee organization, you know, our office would be the first office they 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 get contact from. You know, we help them find apartments for their families. We do ticket requests. It was it was pretty cool, pretty cool. And um, again, we were in Houston. To end that season, we were in Houston for the American League Championship Series. It was Game Seven. Uh, unfortunately, the Yankees lost. So the next day, I'm in the hotel, and I go down to the little breakfast place, and I see Michael K. You know, uh, voice of New York, and I'm like, "Yo, Will, your job's about to come to an end. You know, that's the great Michael K. You want to broadcast? You want a podcast? Like, you got to say something." I'm like, man, that dude is about to have his breakfast. Like, leave him alone. You know, like that conversation you have in your head. And I said, you know what? There's only one shot in life, so let's take it. So I went to Mr. Michael K. I told him who I was and some of my aspirations. And, you know, he's been somebody I could rely on ever since. And I'm very grateful for that. Uh, he he would uh, take me to ESPN Studios in New York. You know, I got to meet... Uh, the great Don Juan LaGreca, uh, Stephen A. Smith, you know, thanks to, to Mr. Michael K. And uh, just very thankful, you know, and he's answered my calls and my emails throughout the years on, on many different things. And I'm just very thankful for that. Um, that's it, man. It's feeling good. Trying to do the right things, trying to put out some, some quality content. And that's it, man. It's WBH Radio. If this is your first time tuning in, please stick around. Uh, check out the Aaron Judge interview we did. And I said, man, you want to keep going. WBH Radio, William Holly. We out.